0: Lord, thank you that we have the promise that death has already been defeated, that the grave has been conquered, that Satan has been stomped by Jesus. Thank you that we we can worship you, that we have access to you, that we can come into your presence in peace because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Father, I pray and beg that you would do something amazing today, even open our eyes to remind us of what it is that we have through the redemption that's been promised to us. For in Christ's precious and matchless name, I pray, Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Ruth chapter three. That is where we are going to head to. That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning in Ruth chapter three. Um, (laughs) been fairly energetic today, so I'm not going to apologize. That's that's a warning. I switched to just straight water about two and a half hours ago, but the caffeine seems to be hanging on from earlier, so we'll see what that means. Um, Actually, I do know why I'm so energized and energetic. Many of you this week were so very kind to me and got me gift cards in my time of need, so thank you. Okay, a few of you did get those emails. So this week we had to send out an email uh, with a security notification letting you know that I, in fact, was not in the meeting on Tuesday morning, and I was not, in fact, asking for our church congregation to buy gift cards from any place and scratch off the back and send me the numbers because I didn't have time to do it myself. Um, I will tell you right now, I was, in fact, in a meeting on Tuesday morning. However, um, if I ever email you for help, it'll be, I'm in a meeting, not get me gift cards. It's, I'm in a meeting, please get me out of this meeting. Okay? Cool? Cool. Cool, all right, so I want to make sure you understand how it would actually communicate. Now, it's just a weird world we live in today, isn't it? Weird world. So, speaking of weird, (laughs) (laughs) hope you're ready for today, Ruth chapter 3. If your kids are with us, love you kids, glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this pretty general. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. This is one of those chapters you read and you're like, yeah, I got to do this. Okay, let's see how it goes. But I think there's some, some specific things that we need to understand. As you read this chapter, why, why would this happen? Why, why would God paint this picture and allow this picture to be painted in his word? Not, not the least of reasons is because when you take the faithfulness of God and contrast it into such a, a incredible story as we're going to find in Ruth chapter 3, what stands out to you is how faithful God really is. How he's able to overcome so many obstacles, and in fact, one of the obstacles he regularly overcomes is what we like to think is our own personal wisdom, but is actually, in fact, our own foolishness. God often works in spite of those things, and we're thankful. As we looked through the past couple of uh, chapters, I just want to remind you of these things. The, The main overarching theme of the book of Ruth is this. God is faithfully loving and providentially caring for his people at all times. That even means when you don't feel it, don't see it, don't sense it, and can't explain it. God is faithfully loving and providentially caring for his people at all times. Even in the dark times. And that's where we tend to see the faithfulness of God most um, most alive, most spectacularly, most because the contrast is so real. It's like if you take a uh, you, you take something and contrast it with something. So if I take a, a bright yellow and I put it on a black background, it pops because of the contrast. If I, if I take the most beautiful baby in the entire world, my granddaughter, and place it next to any other baby, she pops. Because she, right? So it's just reality. I'm sorry. I love you. Yours is second best, I'm sure. So, but in dark times... If we were to stop and look back, what we will see oftentimes is the very fingerprints of God in our life. and Be able to say, man, God is faithful. But in order to get to where we're going this morning, we've got to walk through some sketchy territory. So walk along with me, would you? Verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. It says this. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter... Shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz a relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So wash, put on perfumed oil, wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying, go in and uncover his feet, and then lie down. Then he will tell you what to do. So Ruth said to Naomi, I will do everything you say. All right, so Naomi feels an intense sense of responsibility for her daughter's in-law. You saw that at the very beginning when Orpah and Ruth were leaving Moab with her. She kept imploring them, go back. You won't be taken care of if you come with me. You need to go, go back. <coughs> now here, <coughs> excuse me, fast forward a couple chapters, and now you've got her looking at Ruth and saying, you know, I, I need to take care of you. I need to find a rest for you. And so Naomi begins to un, unravel this plan for Ruth to follow in order to find this, this rest that Ruth should be looking for. The first is this. This is the first thing I want you to do. I want you to take a bath, put on some perfume, and put on your nicest outfit. Sounds like a date, doesn't it? Sounds like a date, but actually what it is, is Naomi is saying to Ruth, Ruth, now is the time to, to remove the clothing that you would normally wear as a mourning widow. Now is the time to set that aside. You are no longer a widow. The time for mourning is over. So what I want you to do, Ruth, is I want you to get dressed up, put on a little perfume, and head down to the threshing floor. So again, let me explain the threshing floor. When you would gather the crops, this case, the crop was barley when you would gather the crops, they would take the crops to the the threshing floor, the winnowing floor. And that was this mound of earth that they would pile up, and then they would compact the top of it so it was almost as hard as a rock. They would take those crops, and they would bang them on the top of the rock. Sometimes they would take um, utensils and and beat on the, the stalks, on the crops, and then they would have animals walk over them. They might stomp over them. They would take a winnowing fork, stick it into the pile, and throw it in the air. Now, being a a pile of earth that was gathered up. But what would happen is the wind, the breeze, would come through. And as they would throw those, those, those stalks that they had pounded on up into the air, the breeze would carry off the kernels or carry off the chaff. It would, it would carry off the refuse, and, and the heavier grain boom, would land on the threshing floor. They would then gather the, the, the grain. Now, at the end of every harvest, it was this big communal event this big community event where all these people would gather at the threshing floor and they would take part in this process and let me tell you this it is it is hard work it is not back breaking but it sure makes your back hurt the next day it's sweaty work it's difficult work and it's a lot of work however it's a good hard work right you know what i mean the good hard work. So, so as you're working, you're eating, you're feasting, you're drinking, you're laughing, there's music playing, you're you're dancing, you're you're pushing your co-workers around and giving each other noogies and laughing as you celebrate God's goodness, as you stand right next to a pile of God's goodness. And this harvest more so than probably the previous ones. Because this is coming on the heels of this huge famine that had come through the land where they had no harvest. And now Right here, they're able to to gather what God has given them and celebrate the very faithfulness of God. When they were done with that process, and the grain would be piled up, one of the workers would draw the graveyard shift. They would have to stay overnight, and they would usually sleep among the piles of grain. And a number of farmers would use the same threshing floor, so you'd have a few different farmers sleeping in in between the the piles uh, of their grain. But in big bad Boaz's company, big bad boss Boaz sent everybody else home. You've done your work. You've been a great employee. I'll take the worst part of this job. I'll take the graveyard shift. And Naomi knows that about the character of Boaz. She knows That at the conclusion of this season of threshing, Boaz would be the one that would stay. And so she tells Ruth, Ruth, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the threshing floor and I want you to watch. And I want you to let him him party, let him eat his food, drink his drink, let him do his dances, let him do all that stuff. And when he goes to bed, make sure you know where he lies down. That is so important. You've got to know where Boaz lies down. And let me explain to you why by giving you a little illustration from my own personal life. Um, my, my wife and her sisters, her two sisters, and her mom, for a season were all the exact same height, the exact same build, and had the exact same hair. It made Thanksgiving very complicated. As one of them is standing at the, dis- the sink doing dishes. And flirtatious Frank. <laughs> hey. However, I learned, Oh, hi, Mom. Good to see you. (laughs) You don't want to cross that line, right? Same thing. Naomi's like, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. You've got to make sure you know where Boaz lies down. You cannot screw this up. Now, when you discover where he's lying, I want you to go and uncover his feet while while he's sleeping. Uh, There are some significant undertones with this instruction. First, the threshing floor after harvest was much like the modern-day red light district. You would have men who were drunk, tired, happy, and had a significant amount of resources to spend under the cover of darkness, often visited by certain types of women. Second, the command to uncover his feet actually can be and is used in other literature, including scripture at other times, as a a sexual euphemism. Um, We decided in staff the way that we would communicate this is Boaz was sleeping, Ruth would come and uncover his feet. This, is this sexual is what is happening here uh, well sure could be it doesn't have to be but we're meant to feel that tension on purpose and I'll explain why as we keep going Ruth I want you to head to the floor I want you to go into the cover of darkness I don't want anybody else to see you I want you to get all dressed up smell good You know, I want you to then uh, sneak over to Boaz, make sure it's Boaz, make sure nobody else is seeing you. And while he is sleeping, I want you to uncover his feet and then listen to what Naomi says next. And he will tell you what to do. That's what we're afraid of, right? That's not a situation you want to be in. So you see the sketchiness of all this. So so is this appropriate? No! No! In no way, shape, or form is this an appropriate way to go about things. I would never tell my daughters to go do this. I would never tell any of your daughters to go do this. But it's in the Bible. Well, so is Judas hanging himself. That doesn't mean it's right. Right? Okay. This is really important you understand that. If you're like, no, I think that's a great idea. Wrong, it's not a great idea. The the, the reality is we should keep. We should keep ourselves in situations where it's easier to do what's right than it is to do what is wrong. Proverbs speaks of this, in verse 20, chapter 27, verse 12. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple just pass right on, and then they suffer for it. So does this, this right here cross a line between what is right and what is wrong? Um, no, but it dances all over that line. This scene right here is filled with that tension, that sexual tension, that immoral tension, not just to spice up the story and make it more sensational, but it's there to drive home the point that God's people, God's children, you and I, are regularly confronted with difficult situations and hard choices, and character is always possible. I'll answer this now because I forgot to answer it first. service. Did Naomi send Ruth with the expectation that Ruth and Boaz would have sex? Um, It's a hard question to answer because because marriage was very different then. (laughs) Um, However, I will say this. Naomi sent Ruth to Boaz knowing full well that both Boaz and Ruth were people of great integrity and character. And so she wasn't concerned at all. So, verse 6. Verse 6, because it just gets so much easier. <sighs> she went down to the threshing floor. She did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. And after Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. And she came secretly like a ninja. That's 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 in the Hebrew, because you're <laughs> wondering. She, <laughs> she uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight. Boaz was startled. Turned over, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. So he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Spread your garment over your servant, for you are a family redeemer. Okay, so now, hard day's work after a hard harvest. You're working, you're sweating. You're with your, your your coworkers and you're laughing and messing around and poking fun at each other you're eating really good food and drinking really good drink and you are dancing as hard as you can dance in between your shift of doing the threshing and all these amazing things are happening and and and, and as a businessman, you finish your day and send everybody home everybody all of your employees have been paid you look back and you know, over the season I was able to help the poor uh, my accounts are all in the black I mean this is this, this is a man who falls asleep and, and has that settled oh, right? That, that feeling of gratefulness. And I think one of the most understated verses of an all in all of, of scripture happens in verse 8 at midnight. Boaz was startled, turned over, and whoa, a woman! Right? You wouldn't expect a woman to be there, but all of a sudden there's a there's a woman! Who are you? She says, I am Ruth. Now you look at Naomi's instructions to Ruth, and what you find is if you stopped the story right there, Ruth has followed Naomi's instructions. But Ruth is an overachiever, and she doesn't stop there. She doesn't follow just the plan, she keeps going. Who are you? I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your garment over your servants. Cover me with your coat. Take me. Under your wings. So what is she, I mean, is she chilly? I mean, is that what's happening? Now, um, even now today in some Arab countries, um, this is a symbolic act. When the man covers a woman with his garment, his outer coat, it's a symbolic act that claims you are the one I want to be married to. It's an engagement ring. So guys, we live in a time where how you ask her to marry you is as important as your wedding. So take a little note from Ruth here. Romantic dinner in the field. Pick any of these fields around here, right? You can see for miles. Set it up real nice. Make sure it's not manure season. That's important. Romantic dinner, table set, candles. Spread those rose petals all around it so it's completely covered on the ground. You whisk her away from her home. Bring her out to the field, and then behind you comes one of your buddies who can play acoustic guitar, and he starts playing and he plays your song. The sun begins to set. You get up from the table, you take her by the hand to the field, and you dance. When the song is done, you extend your arm, bring her back to the table, pull out her chair for her, seat her, push her in. It's going well. She turns this way to grab her napkin. You grab your coat and you throw it over her head real fast. Like, mine! And if you do that, please record it. (laughs) I want to see it. Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. Even if that happens today. It's not as unusual as it used to be, but still, it's like, whoa, really? I mean, but in this moment, this is very unusual. A younger person to an older person, a, a, an employee to a boss, a foreigner to an Israelite, a woman proposing to a man. This is not nothing. This is significant in every way imaginable. This is the lesser approaching the greater With an unthinkable response, a response that he should just laugh off. But look how he responds. Verse 10. Boaz said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you've not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Yes, it's true that I'm a family redeemer. But there is a redeemer closer than I am. So stay here tonight in the morning. If, If he wants to redeem you, well, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. And Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor and he told Ruth, bring the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl and she went into the town. I, the fact that a younger employee from Moab, a woman, asked an older boss from Israel who was a man to marry her And that's his response? We need to take note of that. I I don't know about you, but if somebody wakes me up and and startles me at midnight, my response is not, may the Lord bless you. That's how Boaz responds, with a blessing. And then he's amazed. He's amazed, even dumbfounded. She's so interested in him. You haven't chased after the younger guys, and yet, yet you've chosen me. Why are you interested in this? this old, goofy-looking dude that, that wears sandals and tube socks and has a unibrow and hair growing out of his ears. What are you doing? I am so, you're so out of my league. Why? Remember, Naomi said, when you go and you speak to Boaz, he will tell you what to do. But that's not what happens. He says to her, whatever you say, I will do. And then, And then, instead of attacking her character, questioning her motives, calling out the inappropriateness of the situation, he offers to her one of the most amazing compliments you could possibly offer a woman. look, Look what he says. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of character. That word's a strong character, a character that's marked by integrity. Integrity is doing what's right, even if it costs you. Poet says, that's your reputation among all of these people. As a foreigner, as a pagan, as an outsider. You've come into our land, and as everybody talks about Ruth, it's not Ruth with the crazy mother-in-law, although that would be appropriate. It's Ruth, this woman with this incredible character with a commitment to action not just passively sitting and letting things happen she's out there doing things that's the picture of the faithful woman that's the picture of a woman with strong character this is the the woman that takes the gifts that god has given to her the opportunities that god has given to her the talents that god has given to her and, and and she takes those things and instead of making it about her she then turns it around and serves those people she has opportunity to serve she turns around, and she serves her family. She serves her neighborhood. She ser- serves her community. She serves her church family. She she takes all of these gifts that God has given her and says, "God, you have given to me this, given this to me for a reason." And if I just sit here with it and wait for people to come like, "So, do you think you might that I am doing wrong?" A woman of strong character has a commitment to action. So so what that looks like for some women, it means she can work a sewing machine like a boss. For some women, it means she will she will bake like she's a Michelin star chef. For some women, it, it, it means that she invests and handles money well. For some women, it means she takes the wisdom from the experience she has had and is able to share that with other people. For some women, it's they take their walk with Jesus Christ and their study of Scripture and are able to share what they've learned there with other people. For all women, being a woman of this noble character, this strong character, this woman of integrity, it means serving the people well who are underneath her umbrella of influence. What Boaz saw in her was that woman of incredible character. And he said, no matter how different this is, I will see to it that you have what you need. Now, every great story has drama. And it rears its ugly head right here. Look, look at me at verse, uh, is it 12? Yes, verse 12. It's true, uh, Ruth. It's true that I'm a family redeemer, but there's a redeemer who is closer than I am. Somebody else has the opportunity before I do, Ruth. There's another one. We don't know who or where. We just know that he's got first pick. And we'll meet this fella next week. He's got this fantastic Hebrew name. If you were to translate the Hebrew literally, his name is Mr. (laughs) So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so is a closer family relative. Mr. So-and-so could come in and 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 at his expense, he could he could jump into purchasing the land that that was in Ruth's family. He could jump into this relationship with Ruth. So so now as Boaz hears this proposal from Ruth, (laughs) he realizes that God's plan is flawed. So he concocts his own plan in order to make sure that nobody else gets to hear about Mr. So-and-so and nobody else gets to know because actually, in this situation, I mean, he could just consummate the relationship and bam, they're married and nobody can do anything about it. Nobody would be none the wise. I mean, there's absolutely nothing you just know. No, see, Boaz is a man of character. So whether or not this is love at first sight from chapter two, whether or not this is feelings or no feelings, Boaz is a man of integrity, there is an appropriate pattern to follow. There is another man who comes first. And so because my integrity is not just before you, Ruth, it is before God himself, it demands that I do what is right, regardless of my feelings, regardless of my love, regardless of the opportunities that are in front of me. We live in a day and age when love and logic and common sense says, my feelings are more important than everything else. There's a Hebrew term for that. Garbage. (coughs) I think too often we look at God's ordained order of events, whether that be big picture or even in our own individual lives. And we look at those and we see flaws because we're not getting what we want. And so we try to create a way around it. And that leads us to making some of the most foolish choices we could possibly make. what ends up happening is we then become our own authority. We decide what's right and wrong. We decide what goes and what can't go. We get to to define what is just and what is good instead of trusting him to determine those things for us. And and nine times out of ten, it happens because we hate to wait. I think it's important that we don't miss this. Boaz had no responsibility to redeem Ruth. There's another person who's closer who has that responsibility. He, he doesn't have the responsibility, which is great, because what we see in that is a beautiful picture of truth. Law doesn't bring complete redemption. Because I'm obliged to do this. I'm obligated to do this. That doesn't bring redemption. You know what brings redemption? Grace. Grace. He says, so, so, so what I want you to do, Ruth, is I want you to stay here till morning, which makes sense. I mean, you think the fields were a dangerous place for a young woman to be. Those streets at night were so much more so. It seems that Boaz probably didn't sleep very well. He tells her to lie down, but then he has them both back up before the, the sun even rises. So it almost appears that he's laying there trying to think in his mind, how, how do I protect the, the, the reputation of Ruth? The the physical being of Ruth, how do I protect my own integrity? And so just before daybreak, he says, bring me your shawl. And he fills up her shawl with barley and sends her home. The amount of barley that he dumps in her shawl is more than 80 pounds. Yeah. She's a strong woman. She's carrying that home. And what she's carrying with her is a gift from Boaz. Boaz. And as we stop right there, if we don't read the next couple of verses, we read that we're like, that is awesome. Way to go, Boaz. Take care of your woman like that. Sorry, that was, that was you know what I mean. Got a little carried away, my bad. And with my luck, Boaz is probably like, I, guess I picture him, he's probably this little scrawny guy like, yeah, I'll get you. So it's probably, but Boaz takes care of Ruth, Says, take all this, just bring it all back. Let me bless you. Let me take care of you. Let me provide for you. Let me make sure I do this for you. And then we find out the real reason he does it. Look at verse 16. Ruth gets home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who says, What happened, my daughter? And Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. And Ruth says, He gave me this six measures of barley because he said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, My daughter, (laughs) wait until you find out how things go, for this man will not rest until he resolves this today. Naomi's freaking out. Where is she? Why is she not home yet? How did it go? Ruth comes home, and she says, listen, this is what he's going to do. There's this other guy, Mr. So-and-so, but he said he's going to take care of it. Oh, and by the way, he gave me a little something for you as well. Guys, if you're still dating, brilliant. Send home some cheesecake to mama? That is a winning move. (laughs) He he sends this home, but don't miss what he said to Ruth. Take this home to your mother-in-law. Why? Because I don't want you to go back to her empty-handed, Does that that ring anything? See, just at the end of chapter one, Naomi's returning after she's lost her husband, she's lost her two boys. She comes back and she says, I left this place full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And what Boaz is doing very subtly is saying, Mama Naomi, I got you. God has placed me in your life and I'm gonna take care of you. It's gonna take me some time. But I'll take care of you. And Naomi hears it loud and clear. And you can see her trying to calm Ruth. I'm like, just sit down. Sit down. Breathe. Relax. There's nothing else you can do. It's done. You have to wait. Put yourself in Ruth's shoes. There is nothing you can do. You've got to sit there and wait to see if this man that you proposed to is able to come through in the end and redeem you through marriage. that's an uncomfortable couple of hours isn't it I mean what what, what Naomi says listen Ruth your redemption is in the hands of this man named Boaz Uniontown Bible Church I know dark days come I know frustration comes I know there are days you not only want to throw in the towel you want to beat up the referee in your boxing match You have no desire to be a part of some of the things that are happening in your life, but let me tell you this. Your redemption, the one that you wait for, the one that you long for, is in the hands of the better Boaz. (laughs) You need to wait. Boaz is gonna see that this is taken care of for you. I know how hard it is, particularly for some of you right now. Some of you right now are in the darkest days you've ever experienced, and let me tell you this. Jesus knows, and his redemption for you it's already complete. I know right now it's just a whisper, but it is going to come back and it's going to be a roar. I'm telling you right now, you don't need to worry. Redemption is yours. It's in the hand of the better Boaz. His promise to return soon didn't come with like that stamp of good infused by, but it came with a guarantee. And we pray that his soon return is sooner than we can possibly imagine when he comes back. He comes back, you know how quiet it's gonna be? Not very quiet. You know why? Because all of this pent-up waiting, all this emotion, all the garbage we've had to walk through, all the darkness we've had to navigate, all the times we've just cried out with the song of lament. How long? Why? God, how are you good and sovereign? How do these things align? This tension, this tension that I'm experiencing through the pain of today, but the promise of tomorrow. God, how do I do this? That All of that built up inside of you. In that moment, you are gonna come face to face with Jesus Christ, and you will no longer bear the scars of sin. You will no longer be be shackled by your imperfections. All of your insecurities will melt away. So in that moment, it'll be anything but quiet. Man, I am so insecure about singing. Whew! but I do it loud anyway. Imagine when all my insecurities gone. Some of you are insecure about raising your hands in worship and that's okay, there's no sin there. But some of you do like the. When you come face to face with your redemption fulfilled, there'll be nothing holding your hands back. All those insecurities are gone and it's gonna be worthy is the lamb. Because everything else is melted aside. Knowing that the promise of your redemption is coming has got to fill you with peace as you wait for him to work out the details. And I know today may feel like the details have been forgotten. But Boaz doesn't leave anything out. And we'll see that next week. Would you pray? Father, thanks. For the truth of your word thanks that we can trust you even in dark and difficult times thank you that you have proven over and over again your promises remain your promises are always fulfilled god i know for a fact just from conversations before service there are people in here who are struggling with things that they have never struggled before there are people in here whose hearts are broken and so i pray that in the way that only you can you would mend them and that you would do so as you point them to the, the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. You point them to their redemption. God, if there's somebody in here this morning who doesn't know Christ as Savior, Lord, I, I pray that right now you just break them. I pray that right now you would open their eyes and cause them to see that they're a sinner who needs a Savior. That they would cry out from their, their hearts to the very truth that their lives have demonstrated, that they're a sinner and Jesus Christ is the only Savior. God, I ask that you would give each of us the boldness, the enthusiasm, and the ability to rest in the truth that our redemption is coming, that our great Boaz is going to return, that our great Boaz will never fail us. No matter what it feels like right now, God, please, please rescue those of us who are struggling today. Now I pray, that as we lift our voices, that we would practice well what's going to happen that day we see you face to face. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.